Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I know I have. It's been incredible. Um, I get to listen to, uh, while I'm preaching in the venue, so I don't always get to come in here, but I get to listen to Pastor David's podcast, and I've loved what he's doing. We're going to the book in the venue as well, as, as one church, and it's been, it's been awesome. But we talked a little bit, and with him being out, we said, you know, we've come this far in the book. I think people are going to be disappointed if they miss three weeks from you. So we want to make sure we get to hear all those books from Pastor David. So we're doing a little mini-series called Standing on their shoulders, and then when he gets back, we'll get back to the book. But doing a little mini-series called Standing on Their Shoulders. Let me kind of unpack what I mean by that. If you guys can put up that picture I've got on the screen. I know it's a little uh, distorted there because I, I took that picture funny. But this is, you can see Pastor David there kind of in the top, kind of towards the middle. And to his um, right, uh, if we're looking at the picture, to the left is Austin in that green shirt. He's our high school pastor. And to the right, that's Tony. He's our young adult pastor. And then Cole is on the end. He's our journey pastor. And then that's Casey Shimfessel, our middle school pastor, closest there to me. And uh, we're eating lunch at Blue Sky. You can ignore the Dos Equis sign behind all the Baptist preachers. <laughs> but uh, about, about a month ago, we got to go to lunch. We, and here's the cool thing. This is pretty rare for a church this size. Pastor David loves investing and spending time with the rest of the staff. And I don't know if you know this or not, at a church this size, that's pretty rare that we get to hang out with him like this. But we went to lunch over burgers and, uh, and just got to talk life and ministry with him. And as you can see, this was not a, um, we, we didn't plan for this picture. I just took my phone out and took it real quick. Um, the guys are pretty, they're listening pretty intently, aren't they? pretty eager to hear. And the reason is, and all of them would tell you this, me included, we realize that the ministry we do here at Southcrest, Pastor David, having been here 30 years, almost 30 years, I think September's 30 years or October, um, we're standing on his shoulders in so many ways. And I would, I would add to that, we're standing on, on your shoulders as well. A lot of y'all have been here before, before I was born, if I'm honest. <laughs> and and we recognize that we stand on, on his shoulders and on your shoulders in a lot of ways. Thanks for the picture, guys. You can take that down now. Um, but here's what's interesting or what's important about realizing that you stand on someone's shoulders. It is partly about respect and honor, for sure. That's important. Our, our, my generation could probably use a little more understanding of that, of the importance of honor and respect. But I would say recognizing that you stand on someone's shoulders is about more than just honor. Recognizing you stand on someone's shoulders creates in you this attitude of, hey, I want to learn from them. I, I wanna see what they've done and I wanna mimic that. They've built a foundation that I, that I wanna grow on and build on. Pastor David, just to go back to that example, he has run the race well and thank God he is running the race well. And so as a younger staff, we look to him to see, hey, how, how can we do that? How can we mimic what he is doing? I think it's important kind of leaving that illustration and thinking about us as a body of believers, it's important that as Christians, we recognize that we stand on the shoulders of believers who have gone before us. You know, we're, we're prone to always want to know what's new, and what's, what's, the, what's the next best thing, but there's wisdom in realizing that we have a beautiful history as believers <laughs> and it's worth looking back at the past so we can grow, continue to build on that foundation. And 
This is not, again, just about respect and honor. It's about recognizing that when we mimic those who have gone before us and are running, or in the scripture case, have run the, the race well, that it actually leads to a more joy-filled life, a more obedient-filled life as we mimic those who have run the race of Christianity well. So this next, next three weeks, we're gonna look at three different people who, have, who ran their race well, who walked with God, and kind of see what we can learn from them. The, the idea being, we kind of wanna get in their head a little bit and mimic their mindset toward life. So today, I think a great person to look at is the Apostle Paul. I think we can all agree pretty certainly he ran the race well. And a great book to, to look at his life and to get a grasp for the way he approached life is the book of Philippians. I, I know you know what I'm about to tell you because Pastor David shared this when he went through Philippians in the book series, but this is really like a missionary update letter. And in this letter, because there's a lot of autobiographical information, it gives us insight into the way that Paul lived his life, the way that he approached his life. And in that, we want, we want to mimic that, what he did. Now, we're going to be in chapter three uh, in just a, a moment. We're going to settle down into one particular text. But I want to make a few stops on our road trip to chapter three that help us get insight into the way Paul lived his life. Now, if I can, before we read, let me take a moment just to pray. Jesus, we're grateful to, to be in your house again and God, would you help us to one, just recognize that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and we want to mimic their lives. We want to imitate the way they have followed you, Jesus. And God, as we look at Paul today and we look at what he shares in Philippians, would you just challenge us? Would you encourage us? I'm gonna ask you with your head bound, bowed and your eyes still closed, would you just take a moment to, to ask God to speak to you this morning? To ask him to give you an open heart and an open mind for what he has for you from your word? From his word? God, we love you. We're grateful for your word and we trust that you will speak to us now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I'm gonna jump in in chapter one, verse 12. <clears throat> Quick, quick test, I know you know this. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter of Philippians? He's in prison, all right, let's, let's not forget that, okay. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. <laughs> what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope 
is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be honored, excuse me, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Man, talk about a man who was serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm in prison, but you know what? The gospel is advancing. Most of us, we're, we face hardship of any kind and we're like, do you have time to hear about my, my troubles? <laughs> Paul says, man, I'm in prison, but the gospel is moving forward. People are hearing about the gospel. Why was that? Because he was sharing the gospel even in prison. And he says, there are believers who they're hearing my story, they're hearing about me being in prison, and it's, it's putting courage in their gut. They're becoming more bold to share their faith by seeing my example. So he says, praise God. How in the world do you get like that? <laughs> like, I think a lot of us in here, we know as believers we have a duty, a responsibility to share the gospel, to be serious about spreading the kingdom of God, letting other people know about the love of Jesus. But I don't know that we have this celebratory attitude when we face difficult circumstances. How could Paul say that? How could Paul say, even if people are trying to irritate me and, and get at me, as long as Jesus is being preached, hey, psh, that's all that matters. Whether I live or whether I die, as long as people hear about Jesus, that's all that matters. How do you get to that point? Like if we're gonna stand on Paul's shoulders and, and kind of mimic his lifestyle, how do you get to that point? You guys asked a great question. <laughs> because it's in the very next verse. Verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, what a, what a beautiful insight into to Paul's mindset and, and, and worldview and heartbeat for Jesus. The reason he was so adamant about, man, I don't care what happens to me as long as people hear about Jesus was because Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Everything is, is bound up. My whole life, my sense of meaning, my value, my worth is all found in who? Jesus Christ. And he says, if I die, I'm gonna get to be with him in the flesh. So that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To, to Paul, Jesus was his everything. Well, because Paul is with Jesus now, we could say Jesus is his everything, his all. For, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he un unpacks this idea of, of Jesus being his all a little more in, in chapter three, verses one through 11. So hop in the car, drive over, over to chapter three, verse one. He says, in addition, by the way, let me pause for I'm reading, if you're confused, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. This is one of Pastor David and I, uh, I just started using the CSB a few months ago, but um, this was one of those few that we really liked. The ESV, the New King James, CSB, those are all three that we, we love. There's other great ones as well, but one of our favorites, and this is the CSB this morning, if you're wondering what in the world I'm reading up here. <laughs> but chapter three, verse one. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who, mutil who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. 
although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Just real quick, do you see what Paul's doing there? So he says, look, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ and are not trying to come into a relationship with God through their own self-righteous works, those are the ones who really know Jesus, who really know God, those who have come to God through faith in Christ. But he says, although I do have reasons for confidence in the flesh, so he's gonna turn a corner here, he's gonna say, if you wanted to compare trophy cases of religiosity and morality, boy, do I have a trophy case. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to have a trophy case contest? Well, let me show you. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, (laughs) I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church, Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I said, man, you want to talk about someone who was religious and moral and from the outside looked like they had it all together? He said, it was me. But, verse seven, everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. By the way, if you have a pen or a highlighter and you don't mind writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to write or underline that first little part of verse 10 where he says, my goal, my aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Man, is this guy passionate about Jesus? Yeah, did, did you catch that? He says, all, all that, that trophy case of religiosity and morality, he says, I throw that all behind. I, just to quote the Bible, he said this dung, I consider all as poop, right? I mean, that's what it says. Consider it as, ooh, gross, get it out of here. Get rid of it. Why? So I can know Jesus and grow in him. He says, my goal, my aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection. So I want to know the power of walking with God. I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to be like Jesus. He says, I've rid myself of all to know Jesus more. That's a guy we're standing on his shoulders, amen? Now, I mentioned we're gonna, we're gonna really dive into one particular text and, and this is it, in verses 12 through 16. I was wanting to give you kind of context, give a broad picture of, of Paul's perspective on life. And now this is his mindset. Keep in mind what we just read, what we just talked about. Verse 12, look at this mindset. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call 
in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Did did you catch that? Paul says, I wanna know Christ. I wanna pursue him. Then he says, I'm not, I'm not quite there. So I, I, I want to pursue him. I think there's something interesting about Paul here that we need to grasp before we uh, unpack these, these verses. And I'm going to share a quick story of my daughter to help us get there. A few months ago, uh, my daughter, Carolina Tate, she's three and a half years old, was helping. By the way, I, the window on the stories I can share about them from the pulpit, the window of time is getting smaller and smaller. So I gotta share them while I can because as they get older, they're gonna be like, dad. <laughs> but she was helping me make the bed, uh, you know, helping me make the bed. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're pulling the comforter up and I, and I say, Carolina Tate, you are so awesome for helping me make the bed. Like, you're so awesome. And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, I'm not awesome, I'm pretty. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you, you are so right. Let me time out for a second. She, uh, Caroline Tate, at, at three and a half years old, crazy in our world, I know, but she knows there's a difference in boys and girls. Crazy, I know. <laughs> she, she knows there's a difference and she uh, has, she understands that pretty is typically a girl word and handsome is a boy word. So she'll, if I say you're pretty, she'll say, well, you and Bubba are handsome. And so she also, for some reason, is confused on the word awesome. She thinks it's kind of a boy word. And so, which is, is not true. And so I said, Caroline Tate, you are right. You are pretty. You are such a pretty little girl, but you're also awesome. Thank you so much for helping me. You're so awesome. She put down her little corner of the bed and her lip began to quiver and she said, Daddy, I'm not awesome. <laughs> She's a little confused on the word awesome. <laughs> she, she has it so confined to, to this one understanding when in reality, awesome, there's a little broader meaning than just a little boy playing football, right? She, there, there's more to that word. Why do I say that? When we think about the word grace, I think sometimes we, we misunderstand all that it entails. So grace, man, God's grace. Paul knew God's grace, that he was a sinner forgiven by God's grace, <laughs> that he did not deserve it. Grace, by definition, you don't earn God's salvation. And I wanna, I wanna be careful how I use it. Uh, but, there's not really a but, but, and is a better word. And, at the same time, grace, because it's so amazing, calls us to respond in the way we live. What I mean by that is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was, uh, lived during the time of World War II, he was a pastor, he was part of the Valkyrie plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Uh, he was a theologian, an incredible man, I encourage you to read about him, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the book called The Cost of Discipleship and he talked about this idea of cheap grace. So many believers, they want this cheap grace of, yeah, I'm saved and now I just go do my thing. And no, he says, grace was so costly, it cost God the Son his life that it, res- it demands a response from us. Y'all tracking with me? Maybe a different way to say it, Dallas Willard, 
the late Dallas Willard said, grace is opposed to earning. You can't earn grace because then it's not grace anymore. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift of God. But he says, grace is not opposed to effort. So once you've experienced the grace of God, it churns in you, should stir in you this desire to pursue after and know God more. A lot of you know the Bible commentator, Matthew Henry. He said, wherever there is true grace, there is a desire for more grace. So kind of like when when you're a little kid and your mom and dad show you where the bluebell ice cream is, if you truly experience bluebell ice cream, you will put in the effort to go get some more, (laughs) right? To experience it more. A.W. Tozer, he wrote a book in the 1940s and in it he asked the question, or he he stated and, and challenged believers to go hard after a holy God, to pursue him. I think the question that Paul's life, as we stand on his shoulders, a question that his life begs of us to consider in this text, more importantly, you could say, begs of us to consider is, are you going hard after God? Are you right now, August 8th, can you believe it's August? August 8th of 2021, are you going hard after God? Not to earn salvation, you can't earn it. It's given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of his life, death, and resurrection. You can't earn it. But if you know it, if you've received his grace, are you pursuing him to know him more? This question, or excuse me, this text gives us a few reasons why we should pursue, go hard after Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read Verses 12 and 15, and I'll give you the first one I think is in this text. He says, not that I've already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And now, I know we already read it all, but jump down to verse 15. He says, therefore, let, us, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. What's the first reason the text gives us of why we should press on to know God more? First reason, you still have room to grow. Number one, you still have room to grow. That's why you should press on. That's why you should pursue God because you still have room to grow. Did you know that? Did you know that? I, I don't care how young, how old you are, you're not there yet. Think about the Apostle Paul in prison as he's writing this and he says, I I haven't reached the goal yet. Man, I'm not there yet. I think our natural response if we were like in the prison cell beside him would be like, Paul, come on, man, quit being humble. (laughs) He'd say, no, no, really, I I, I still have room to grow. I'm not there yet. Look what it says in verse 15. Let all of us who are mature think this way. Think this way, meaning this idea of, I'm not there yet, I wanna press on to know Christ more. A sure sign of immaturity for a believer is to think that you've arrived, (laughs) right? Believer tells you, man, I just feel like I'm just kind of, I've kind of maxed out. (laughs) A sure sign they're not walking with Jesus (laughs) or a sure sign that they have way more room to grow than they realize, You're not there yet. You know, one thing I love about Southcrest, I think of 
the times I've gone by a pie night and some of the folks that are helping in there or VBS. And I love when I see an 80, 85 year old person in there and saying, man, I still have a way, I still need to serve my king. My time is not done. And I wanna say, <laughs> we're never through. We're never through growing. You still have room to grow. That's the first reason we should press on. But there's, there's a second reason in verse 12 on it. It gives us another reason. I'm gonna read verse 12 again. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because, I underline that word because, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Here's the second reason you should press on. Because Christ has taken hold of you. Do you see that? Paul says, I wanna make every effort to take hold of it, hold of it being this goal of knowing Christ, really goes back to verse 10, of, of knowing the power of his resurrection, being conformed to him, his image. I wanna, I wanna make every effort to take hold of that because I've been taken hold of by Christ. The ESV says, he has made me his own. That's a good reason to press on to know him more. Jesus has reached out and grabbed a hold of me and saved me, so I wanna reach back out and grab a hold of him and know him. Think about this. The creator of the universe, Hebrews says that by the word of his power, Jesus holds all things together. The creator of the universe who stretched out the heavens, stretched out on the cross so he could make you one of his own. So he could offer to you forgiveness and love and hope and peace and a purpose. He made you his own. Second Corinthians five says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He made you his own and it doesn't just wipe away your sin. He places on you his own righteousness when he makes you his own. Man, that's worth celebrating, right? Galatians teaches us that we were dead and under a curse of the law because of sin, but Jesus was nailed to a cross to become a curse for us that we can know the freedom of God and be free from our sin and be free from the, the power of the law. Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our sin, walking in the ways of this world under the prince of darkness, but Jesus made us alive. And now we get to walk with him. First Peter says that we once were in darkness, but now we walk in marvelous light because he has made us his own. So Paul says, man, he's, he's grabbed hold of me. He's taken hold of me. So I want to grab hold of him. I want to know him. That's why I'm going to press on. That's why I'm going to pursue him. It makes me think of Michelangelo's painting of the creation of man. I know that's about creation, but I think there's a, a picture there that unfortunately maybe is a good picture of a lot of our pursuit of Christ. In the, in the picture, God is reaching forward towards Adam and Adam is kind of laying on the ground with his finger like this. <laughs> he just kind of half-hearted. Eh. And I think, unfortunately, that is a picture of a lot of our, our lives. That God has reached towards us and we're just kind of, eh. <laughs> Are you pursuing him? Are you pressing on to know him more? He's taken hold of you. So reach out to take hold of him. You know what I love about this text and what it teaches us? Is that as we, we reach out towards God to, to know him more, what it shows us 
He doesn't pull his hand back. So think back to that picture from Michelangelo. The picture is not that God reaches out and, then, and Adam's got his finger there, but then God reaches back like, ha, got you. <laughs> no, as we reach out to know Christ more and to grow in our relationship with him, he doesn't play games with us. Look at verse 14. We'll give you a third reason why we should press on. He says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Here's the third reason you should press on, to know him. To me, be a little more clearly, the idea that you can, it's a promise, you can know Jesus. It's the promise, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The idea being that Jesus in eternity with him, he is the prize to know him forever. He is the, that is the prize, but also that I'm able to pursue him. I'm able to press on to know him more because he has called me. So there's this motivation, this, this, uh, yeah, this motivation that he's saying, come on, you can know me. You'll know me perfectly in heaven, but even now on this earth, we can, it's a promise, we can know Jesus intimately. How many people have given up pursuing and pressing on to know God because it just feels like a lost cause? If that's you, you have bought a lie from the enemy. The enemy has pulled up a chair to your table, to quote one pastor, and you're, you're letting him steal some of your food. It is a promise that you can know Jesus. If he's taken hold of you, you can take hold of him and know him. It's a promise. He's not playing games with you. So why should we press on? So far we have three reasons. You have room to grow. He's taken hold of you. You can know him. And there's one more that I think is maybe the most obvious. We just, we just forget it a lot. I think at the first reading, you, you, we may have missed it. I know I did, did for several years. Verse 16. So after all this idea of pursuing God, knowing him, he says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean whatever truth, like whatever truth is your truth, that's cool, man. This subjective truth. No, that's not what he's talking about. Absolute truth of the Bible, knowing Jesus. But he says whatever truth. So however far you, you've come in knowing Christ and pressing on to know him and, and this goal of knowing him and the power of his resurrection, however far, whatever far you've come in that truth, he's saying don't go backwards. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Don't go backwards. So here's the fourth thing. <laughs> we tend to drift. Why should you press on to know Jesus more? Because fourthly, we tend to drift. We tend to kind of, I don't mean, I'm not talking about losing our salvation. We tend to drift away from our relationship with Christ. There's no standing still in your relationship with Jesus. You're either pursuing and, and, and knowing him more or you're slowly but surely drifting away. D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament theologian, he says, people do not drift toward holiness. <laughs> it's a good word. I shared this before, but um, it's such a, I think, a helpful picture. Growing up, 
in Florida, we'd go to the beach often. I remember going to the beach with my sisters and our, our parents would be up uh, on, on the sand, which, what does Pastor David always say? We have a lot of beach in Lubbock, we just don't have any water, right? Um, but they'd be up on the beach on the sand and we'd be out in the water and we'd be out there for you in 15, 20 minutes and after a while, we would look back up and our parents would be gone. And we're like, oh, they left us, <laughs> they left us. Did our parents actually leave us? No, what happened? Yeah, we left, we left them and we didn't even know it, right? We just drifted, the current. Or then I remember getting a little bit older and uh, going with friends to the beach and we'd leave our stuff, you know, our bags on, on, the, on the shore and then we got into the water and we didn't think our parents left us, we thought somebody stole our stuff, right? No one stole it, we just, we just naturally drifted. Don't even realize, you think you're standing still, but you just kind of naturally drift because of the current. Ben Rector, he's, a, he's an art, a musician, he says, standing still isn't easy when the world is moving backwards. That's true. If you're not making this conscious effort, this determination to pursue Christ, to fix your eyes on him, you're just gonna kind of slowly, slowly drift away. I think about, you know, being in Lubbock, maybe we're a little closer to the river than we are to the ocean. And a lot of this, it's fun to go uh, float the river, right? Maybe go down towards the Austin area and float the river. Some of you have done that before or maybe even done that this summer. And when you float the river, there's just this lackadaisical chillness about it. And that's appropriate, right? If you're, on the, if you're floating the river with a paddle and you're all intense, it's like, brother, just relax, right? But floating the river is a terrible picture if it represents your relationship with Christ, this idea of just kind of hanging out wherever it takes me. No, that's not the picture in scripture of pursuing Jesus. It's actually, if you see, you are, we already read it in verse 13. It's this idea of reaching forward to what is ahead. So it's this picture of a runner who's straining forward with every ounce of his fiber to reach the goal, to reach the prize. Paul says, that's my attitude, my attitude toward Christ. And he says, let it be yours. We tend to drift. Man, don't drift. Whatever, you, whatever knowledge you've come to and your understanding of growing in Christ and you've been reading scripture and growing in your relationship with him, don't drift. Pursue after, chase after, press on to know Jesus more. We tend to drift, don't drift, press on. So a fair question is, well, well, how do we press on? Okay, I get why I should press on. Those seem like four reasonable reasons from scripture, but how, how do I press on? What does that look like? I wanna give us two ways how we should, how we should press on, and I think they're in the text. I know I'm cheating by using a previous passage, that's not our focus, but look at verse seven. I think verses seven through nine of chapter three are incredibly helpful for, for what it means, or, or yeah, sorry, for giving us a picture of how to press on. He says, but in everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dumb, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I think, just to sum it up, the, 
a way he gives us here to press on of how to do it is to choose to treasure Christ above all. Paul says, I'm, everything that gave me value and identity and worth before, he says, I'm gonna throw that in the trash and choose to treasure Christ because knowing him is so much better. Knowing him and, and, and being in relationship with him and growing in him is so much better than anything the world has to offer. So I'm gonna choose to treasure Christ. So again, the idea being that if there's something in your life that is you're clinging to for your, your value, for your worth, your sense of identity more than Jesus, the challenge to, to press on to know him more is for you to lay that aside and choose to treasure Christ. And I think it's a fair question. Well, that's still a little abstract. Like, how do you do that? I think a second thing that's in this text is really back in verse um, 13, where he says, I'm forgetting what is behind and simultaneously reaching forward to what is ahead. And he says, I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So ultimately he says, what is, I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. And what is ahead? One person, his name is Christ, that's Jesus. I'm forgetting what is behind and simultaneously I'm gonna strain forward. I'm fixing my eyes on Christ. So what's the second way of how we can press on and know Christ more? It's simply set your eyes on Christ. I, think it's the only, I don't know how else to learn to treasure something than to fix your eyes on it. So I'm gonna choose to put down the treasures of this world and to treasure Jesus. I'm gonna set my gaze, I'm gonna set my eyes on Jesus Christ. Forget what is behind. You know, so many of us, we're not growing in our relationship with Christ. We're not pressing on to know him more because we're distracted by the past. You know, if you're like me, we've been watching some Olympics and you know, a sure way to sabotage yourself in a race is to look back. I think in the Christian walk, there can be times, scripture teaches us, there are times it's appropriate to look back, to look back at God's faithfulness to give you courage for today, right? To see his goodness in the past and know he's gonna be good tomorrow. But at the same time, if I look back and it's distracting me from pursuing Christ today, I should stop looking back. When we look backwards, if we look back at success, it tends to make us kind of proud, right? Man, back in the day, I was really pursuing Christ. And Jesus says, oh, well, that was good, but what about today? Or if we look back at past failures, it can lead to this paralytic hopelessness of, man, I, and God's, the upward call of God, of Christ is saying, hey, forget what lies behind. There's, there's grace, you've been forgiven. Pursue me today, press on some of the best ways I know to set my eyes on Christ are this word right here, is this word right here. Set my eyes on scripture. I was talking with some friends recently and sometimes I think we approach the Bible and we're like, man, I'm just kind of struggling, I'm distracted. I need to get my heart and mind right before I read the Bible. I would challenge you, just start reading it. Let Jesus change your heart. Set your eyes on him and he will draw you to himself and next thing you know, you'll be pressing on to know him more. 
Spend time talking with him. When you meet with other believers, let's not just talk about the weather or football starting back, amen. Whatever it is, talk about Jesus and how, how good he is. You know, for some of you, some of us, me included, this idea of pressing on to know him more and pursuing him actually involves you slowing down. What do I mean by that? There's a pastor, John Mark Comer. He says that often, he read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it says often when we're in a hurry, when we're in a rush, the things we should turn to first are the first things to go. So he, this pastor, John Mark Comer, he invites us to slow down, to create some margin create some space so we can press on to know Jesus, which is what matters most. <laughs> so maybe for you, the call to press on is not just to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and oh, I'm gonna do this, but to just create some space to be still with your savior. To press on, to know him. You know, as we close, I think there's, there's two postures you could have this morning in response to this idea of, of pressing on to know him. And the first posture, I'll demonstrate over here. The, oh, sorry, let me get back in the camera, there we go. I'm not used to these cameras, I gotta get used to it. I walk around too much. The first posture could be this posture of, okay, whew, I gotta press on, I gotta know Jesus more. Whew, all right, I'm gonna stop by Market Street today and buy some extra strength deodorant because it's time to get serious. Like, whew, I'm gonna be going hard this, this week. Time to set the alarm clock for 4 a.m. Man, you know what, actually? This is kind of stressful. And you maybe hear this as drudgery of, here we go. I gotta press on. And before you even get going, you've already stopped because you're stressed out about pressing on to know him more. Others of you, I said two, I'm gonna make it three actually. A A second posture that I still think is not the right posture but some of you may have, and that's fair, would be to sit here and say, I don't know I need to press on to know Jesus, but it seems kind of selfish of him to say, lay all the other treasures aside and pursue me to know me more. I would invite both of those people to come to this third posture, which I think is the posture that Paul lays out in chapter three, and it's to recognize that this is not Jesus up in heaven saying, you dirty little sinners, you better press hard after me, get your stuff together. No, it's Jesus saying, come on. He's inviting, come on. I want you to know me. And this person in the middle who says, isn't that selfish of Jesus? Jesus says, yeah, because there's nothing bigger or better and more satisfying than me. So yes, I'm telling you, child, come chase hard after me to know me more. See, this is not about drudgery. This is not about selfishness. This is about delight. Paul knew well that there's nothing bigger or better or more satisfying than Jesus. So Paul said, I'm gonna press hard to know Jesus more. This is not drudgery. This is delight of Jesus saying, come on, know me. Grow in your relationship with your Savior. So believer, fellow Christian, are you pressing hard after God? Are you pressing on to know him more? As we enter into a time of invitation, the invitation for believers is to consider... Am I pressing on?
Maybe you need to take some time in a moment as we sing and as we pray to just say, God, would you help me to press on to know you more? Would you help me not see this as drudgery or that you're selfish, but to recognize that you're actually loving and to find my greatest delight in you? Jesus, teach me to press on to know you more. Whatever that looks like. If you're not a believer this morning, the reality is you can't press on in this relationship with Jesus if you don't know him yet. But as I mentioned earlier, Jesus, the one who stretched out the heavens was stretched out on a cross for you to pay the price for your sins, for my sins. He lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived, lived, excuse me, but can't live because of our sin. And he died the death that we deserve. And three days later, amen, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And offering us, we will come to him by grace through faith, offers to us forgiveness and love and hope and life and the opportunity to know him. So the invitation for you this morning, if you don't know him, is to turn to him for salvation, to turn from your sin, to turn to Jesus. After I pray in a few moments, there'll be some men down front that would love to pray with you, would love to to talk with you if you wanna know more about what it is to come into a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you just wanna come and talk to one of these men about and say, hey, I, I need to press on. I've not been pressing on. I, I kind of been drifting in my walk with Christ and it's time for me to get serious about pressing on. Would you pray for me? And it would be our delight to pray for you. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been looking for a good Bible-believing church. I'll tell you one thing, we believe the Bible here at Southcrest. We're gonna preach it. And we're a Jesus church, that's what we're about, unashamedly. So maybe Christ is stirring your heart to become part of this family, this, to join the church this morning. We would love for you to do that. And you can talk with us here in a moment or even after the service, we'd love to talk with you. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna stand and sing and respond. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for grabbing hold of us, for saving us. And God, would you stir us this morning to press on to know you more? Would you help us, as A.W. Tozer said, to, to go hard after you, to pursue you, and not to float through life? And Lord, for those this morning that don't know you, would you draw them to yourself? God, just the simple prayer of them saying, Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe that you are God the Son, that you paid the price for my sins, and Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I trust you. God, would you lead them to make that their heart's posture and prayer? Would you give us boldness to respond as you want us to? We trust that you're working, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.